1: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. We are doing a Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter preview today i mean that's gonna be the main focus but i'm here today with my boy Eris pina who's a, of course a CompuBox box operator and a fellow fight fight history but just overall fight lover like myself Eris, what's up man
1: hey what's going on big big fight this weekend very excited to talk about it so
0: i i feel like i'm i'm pretty excited to talk about it like i think a lot of the people who listen to the show especially a lot of the people who listen regularly um probably come from some social media platform and probably come from Twitter or if, if they know us at all and not just from listening, they probably know us like from Twitter because that's where a lot of the boxing people seem to hang out. But, um, the other day, I only say that because the other day I tweeted out that not even including the fights let this past weekend, David Benavidez. And, you know, I I didn't even include the fights from this past weekend. Uh, Well, actually, I don't even know that they qualified point is from that point until the end of the year, I said that there were about 10 fights where uh, in different divisions, there would be fights featured on TV where there were two top 10 fighters in a given division fighting each other, right? And so somebody for some reason responded and said that they thought that Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter was a one-sided fight. And I mean, I only say that and respond to that just to say that. I, I really disagree, and I say that as a Terrence Crawford kind of, like, fan. I like him, especially as a fighter, and I think that this is a fight where it's really going to say something about Terrence Crawford in particular, but, I mean, dude, Sean Porter shows up.
1: Sean Porter's a truth machine, man. If anything, he's going to have to bring the best out of you because he makes you do a gut check. Um. Sean Porter is probably probably has the best resume, top to bottom, in the welterweight division. I would say now, because I mean, in terms of just who he's fought, because he's literally he's basically fought them all now, especially with fighting Crawford. And Crawford, for this matter, is um, first getting his first high-profile fight against a PBC fighter. It's not against Errol Spence, which everybody has been you know begging for and praying for and hoping for, and now just kind of giving up on, and what's become boxing's never-ending story. But this is a healthy, this is a very solid substitute, you know. It's not another fight that Crawford is kind of stuck in the top rank bubble, so to speak, like he has been for a lot of his other fights where he's been featured on ESPN and such against fights that, you know, even though they're good, they're just fights that there's no drama to it because, you know, Crawford's just going to come ahead. And even though he's the favorite in this fight, you just know that Porter is such a tenacious, strong determined just absolute animal in the ring, man, just really difficult to fight and look good against because of how tough he is and his style and his swarming ways and how strong and so many other attributes to him that Crawford is going to be really tested here. If he can come out of this and shine and dominate Porter the way Porter hasn't been dominated before, because like I said, Porter's lost before, but he's never been fully just dominated. He's been competitive in all of his losses, really competitive in fact, um, made everyone like pull out their absolute best and you know, yeah, gave those guys gut checks. You know what I mean? Where they were in a firefight and they'll always remember that fight as being one of their toughest. And if Crawford is able to weather that storm, not only come on top of that and then stop um, Sean Porter, that would be huge. Absolutely huge. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that because of how tough Porter is, but if Crawford is, you know, would be able to put him away in a dominant fashion or at least just come up with a commanding decision, that's still going to be really impressive.
0: And that's, that, man, it would be tough for me to word it any better. I think that you, you nailed a lot of really important things there that, um, there's absolutely no question that Terrence Crawford's one of the best fighters in the world who, you know, how exactly you rank him is probably going to be largely up to like preference, you know, like, do you like him or do you not like him or do you prefer this person over this person? Whatever you know, it's gonna largely come down to that. Point is that I think almost everybody agrees that he's gonna be in the top like two or three uh, pound for pound slots. And so the problem is with this. Uh, you you mentioned this top rank bubble. So the with welterweight being so deep, it's unfortunately been one of those divisions where the the fighters who have been factioned off or were. Um, it, it kind of became clear and really annoying that it was happening. And it was, you know, there weren't a whole lot of divisions where like the best fight to be made in that particular division just can't happen. And so it became a bit of a, like a, a shining example or well, a, well, not shining example, a shitty example of, of that division between like, you know, top ranks, uh, lack of desire to work with premier boxing champions or vice versa, whatever the case might be. So for people who are going, well, then why, what's so, what's important about this fight or what happened or whatever, pretty much the story is that, like I said, there was these factions that are unwilling to work with each other. So uh premier boxing champions has had the vast majority of these contending welterweights over the last handful of years a number of them have fought each other um, and it's been like well why isn't Terrence Crawford in that mix because he hasn't really been able to so finally I think that what has basically happened is that uh, because Terrence Crawford I don't know if it's that he's uncooperative or something like that, where top rank sees him as uncooperative. I don't know if it's that he feels he's worth more. And, you know, I don't know if he's driving a hard bargain. I don't know if top rank is disappointed that they thought he'd sell more in places outside of Omaha. I don't know what the truth is behind it, but clearly Bob Aram and top rank kind of took disinterest. In pushing Terence Crawford hard and getting behind Terence Crawford in a promotional certainly manner, <laughs> what's Bob that? Was
1: not so Bob certainly wasn't holding back in interviews about how he felt would crop out Crawford either.
0: Well, and I think that for like a, a couple of years he was being kind of like uh, he was wording it kind of cleverly, <laughs> you know, like he, he was like, "Well, we're kind of having some difficulty promoting," kind of thing, rather than outright saying it. And then the last year, year and a half or so, he's been outright saying. You know, he doesn't sell, he doesn't sell ticket, you know, shit like that. And it's like, fuck bro. I mean, I, I, I understand that there might be some frustration there, but that's not really the hallmark of a promoter who's standing behind their fighter or, you know, really rooting for their fighter. And so it almost, it seemed to a lot of people, like they were happy to kind of get rid of him or push him out because his contract was coming to an end. And that's really what it seemed like. And so the inability or the, like I said, lack of desire to push him in with Errol Spence also kind of drove Terrence Crawford away. So in a way, it's almost like a, that Sean Porter is a consolation, and I don't want to talk the fight down again at all. But Sean Porter is a consolation almost like in more ways than one, which is kind of lame to, to think of it in that regard, because Sean Porter's a, a top welterweight who's going to come to fight.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, like you just mentioned, Crawford has been begging for a major fight for a while. And whether it's, it, it we're, you know, we're boxing in this type of day and age, too. Or we're, at a, we're at this time where it's, even though big fights do get made, at the same time, it's still as divided as it ever has been in terms of networks and who wants to work with who and how things come along and all that. And unless a fight is massively big, that all sides will try to work together because there's too much money involved, kind of like what happened with Fury and Wilder and potentially what could have happened with Spence and um, Crawford if all sides want to play along. But like, it's very rare when something like that happens. So for the most part, guys will just be barking on Twitter at each other. Hey, I'll fight you, I'll fight you. So yeah, yeah, I want to be the best. But for the most part though, there's enough competition on their network in their promotion stable, whatever you want to call it, That they don't really have to venture to the other side. And then those fights that, you know, they get marinated as, you know, has been said before. So it's one of those things now that like Crawford, he's been, like you mentioned, he's been looked upon as like one of the top three best fighters in the world, but he's still looking for that major signature win you know, even though he's what, 37, 38, you know, at this point now, he'd still, he has big wins on him and he's been impressive in all those wins, but what's his biggest signature one that he's been like craving for? For years, he was begging for the Pacquiao fight with Aaron promising them that, yeah, we're going to get the Pacquiao fight going, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, X, Y, and Z, always something coming up happening because of it, without it happening. And then finally, when it looked like it might come to fruition, um, overseas, where they said they were going to hold it? Oh man, I don't even,
0: I somewhere don't even remember. Was it the
1: Middle East or Dubai or I somewhere? Might have, yeah, because
0: like I think they were pushing for Dubai or something.
1: Something. But then people didn't come up with the money and then the pandemic happened and then everything fell apart, they said. So Crawford instead was stuck to fight Kell Brook in the bubble as well, you know, and instead of getting the Pacquiao fight that he craved. And I'm sure he didn't feel too great. I'm sure he was very salty when Errol Spence ended up getting the Pacquiao fight before that fell through, the one that he's been craving that whole time. And so two guys that he's been trying to, you know, he's been trying to fight for a long time. Instead, they're going to fight each other, and he's still kind of left out in the cold. But that being said, um, this is his chance now. If he can win this fight, I mean, he is favored to win it, but if he can dominate Sean Porter the way that any other person that's been able to beat him so far hasn't been able to, like Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, um, Kell Brook. So... You know, if he's able to go in there and, you know, um, able to do that, it's going to be huge. I mean, he certainly has the style and able to. Like, you know, Crawford is one of those guys that adapts better than anyone else in the game, Um, especially after a couple of rounds. Once he figures things out and starts going through it, it's almost hard to beat him because he already puts you in checkmate. At that point, it's like he just stops that torture session because he's a sadistic dude. For a person who's not, like, going out there – as like a one-punch knockout artist or anything like that, he just breaks you down and you can tell he enjoys doing it each round piece by piece, beating you up, beating you up. And he never fully takes you out until he knows he has you fully beaten up, down, all around, just mentally, physically, everything about it. Then he'll put you out of his misery. So I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do that with a guy like Porter, because not only is Porter such a strong physical fighter who's just in your face with 12 rounds with an incredible gas tank and just physically strong and whatever... Porter also has a really, really strong mental game that it's really hard to break a guy like that. You know, he's been through years before. He's been to the big stage before, probably more times than Crawford already. And he knows what he's getting into with this fight, and he's very motivated for that. Instead of being another guy who's, who doesn't really have, who's kind of stood in their bubble, has a big name, barks a lot, and finally gets into his first major fight, but never really has that significant fight before that because he's never really been begging for it. Porter is that dude out of the PVC realm who's tried to fight everybody. He doesn't give a damn. He'll fight you anytime, any place. And he's wants the best competition. He wants all the smoke, you know? And he's the one guy that was like, oh, let me go at Crawford. You know, I'll, you know, I'm not just gonna bark about it. I wanna be about it. Let's make this fight. And he was the one dude that it didn't make this much issue. It wasn't a lot of once he became the mandatory challenger, he was like, Let's do it, let's make it. And it wasn't that difficult to make. So yeah here we are today i'm really excited for him man it's gonna be one of those styles the styles are going to mesh well for me i think the styles are going to mesh really well it's going to make for a really good action fight
0: you uh in talking about terrence crawford so i mean i think i feel like i bring this up pretty much every time uh a terrence crawford fight comes up or we preview it or whatever. I mean, I guess just for some perspective as far as why I pick the way that I pick or why I talk about him the way I talk about him or whatever. But, I mean, I remember it was uh, the Brady's Prescott fight. The Brady's Prescott fight, which was the undercard of Alvarado Rios too. I'm pretty sure, in 2013. it was substitute, wasn't he? Yeah, it was like a, a kind of last-minute kind of thing. like Or, you know, not super last-minute, but like a few <clears throat> weeks or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but the point is, um, I remember hearing about him, but I did, to me, he was just like kind of like an up and coming fighter. And I remember thinking, oh, well, like he looks really good. And he kind of played keep away in the fight, but he he outboxed Brady's Prescott. But like, you know, I, I thought that he outboxed him pretty comfortably. He didn't really uh, put himself in, in harm's way. I remember Kevin Ioli and a handful of other writers ringside like, had uh Brady's Prescott winning or like had it a draw? And really? I was like, that whoa. Prescott I don't probably know. even went around in that
1: fight, if I remember. Dude,
0: it was like I just remember watching it and being like, he just never even got going. Like it was not, and that's but that's like really Brady's Prescott ish. Like he'd show up one fight and then another fight, he just like barely show up. And he didn't show up, but also Terrence Crawford like just didn't let him show up. You know, he just he just played yeah, people he away. He completely wasn't having it.
1: down yeah He down. wasn't having it,
0: but I would remember cracking up about that, but but I do remember thinking, "Wow, okay, he's clearly skilled, clearly a good fighter, young fighter at that point. So now he's 34. At that point, I want to say he was, he must have been I don't know 25, something like that. In any case, um you know he's he's come quite a long way since then. As a fighter, I think that he is one of the more complete fighters out there today. Clearly, um, I, I don't really have much use for the whole turning southpaw orthodox thing personally. I usually think that that's like a bad idea overall, but he is one of the few fighters he se- who seems to do it very well and seems to actually make it useful um, rather than like a novelty. And he has uh, seemed to develop, I don't know if it's because of the promotional shit, I don't know if it's just that he has it because it's just like the dog in him, as they say, but he clearly has like a mean streak. If you piss him off in the ring or if you do something that he doesn't like or if you start trying to get off on him, it's like, you know, he punishes you. You're in trouble. And it's the same type of shit Floyd Mayweather used to do. And I know they're not the same fighter, and I'm not saying they are, but – Floyd Mayweather used to do the exact same type of shit where like, if you started trying to foul him, just like Victor Ortiz, crazily enough, right before that fight, I wrote a preview for that fight. And I literally said, you know, Victor Ortiz does a lot of stupid shit. And if he tries stupid shit with Floyd Mayweather, like he's going to get hurt real bad. And that's literally what happened. And I remember cracking up so hard, like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of surprised I called that, I guess, but. Pretty predictable, considering <laughs> Ortiz's bullshit. But Terrence Crawford has that same mentality, where if you try to foul him, you try to fuck with him, you're it's he's he's gonna punish you. He's gonna whoop your fucking ass, and he's uh. But like you said, this style matchup, it's a really good style clash. That kind of like slightly more classic or more orthodox boxer puncher versus the guy who's uh swarming kind of power punching uh you know throughout his career sean porter's been compared to shane mosley because he kind of looks like him physically also has his father you know uh in his corner and kind of had a similar style in the sense that he was very physical and very uh aggressive uh kind of boxer puncher his style has changed to be a little bit more forward and hard charging in recent years but it's the kind of thing where he's going to make it a difficult night for anybody he fights. You know, there's only going to be a like a select few fighters who have an easy night against Sean Porter. And so like you said, if Terence Crawford is the kind of fighter I guess who or is good enough that he makes this easy, that he makes it one-sided, dominant, something like that, that would be an incredibly big statement. No question.
1: Um, Porter, I mean, he's just, from the first of the bell, I'm just going to envision that he's just going to come out there and start swarming Crawford because Crawford's that type of guy that, um, we've discussed this before. He takes a couple of rounds sometimes to warm up. Not so much that he's out there ice cold or anything, but Crawford can be touched. And usually in the first few rounds, he's the type of guy that has to like digest what's in front of him. And, you know, he takes a couple of rounds to basically just, feel his way out, you know, and he might even drop a round or two because of that, it happens. But then once he starts to begin to dial in and, you know, figures things out and goes from there because he's a very smart guy and he's constantly thinking in his mind and once you already start seeing him turning south par and doing things like that, like you mentioned a little, um, a minute ago, you already tell that like he's settling down now and starting to work with things that he's seeing and starting to, you know, pick it up from there. Like I said, it's mental chess with him. He's always trying to think ahead. He's always working ahead. But Porter is just going to be staying on top of him. And that's what's going to be fascinating is that if Crawford is going to <clears> – <throat> it's going to be tough for him to have the normal fight where he's going to be staying in the center of the ring trying to dictate from over there. Because Porter is going to constantly trying to keep him on the ropes. And Porter is such a strong guy that he's able to bully people even like Errol Spence at times, you know, who's very strong in himself. So – it's gonna be interesting who Crawford, who's no who's no slouch in the strength department, he's pretty underrated in that regard, is gonna be able to handle that. Because this is the first time he's fighting a dude who's a full-on pit bull that will be constantly trying to maul him because if um you know, maul him make him uncomfortable and just keep him on the ropes.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be an uncomfortable night for just about anybody that Sean Porter faces. And you know, I, I had to go look because I'm not I'm not somebody who follows amateur boxing like that. You know, every so often I'll know some facts or some, you know, factoids or something like that about amateur boxing. But it's it's been difficult to follow in recent years because they, they don't make it easy to follow. But in looking at their amateur careers, um, they have somewhat similar amateur careers, highly decorated amateurs, both on the national uh, level and probably uh, and saw some... Fairly elite international competition too. Um, I mean, they really match up well on paper. So this is a fight that I, I don't know why anybody would call it one sided or you know something they wouldn't want to see or something like that. Obviously, it's not the fight that we want to see, but going into that, it's a really good gauge of whether of what that fight should be. But just kind of out of curi- curiosity, I wanted to look to what like the the odds. Would be in one of the more famous websites. Has currently Terrence Crawford is a minus six hundred favorite. Sean Porter a plus four twenty five underdog. Uh, meaning, I mean that's a that's a very firm favorite. So I mean, I'm actually a little bit surprised that he's uh, that big up. But the over under, I guess, is over is ten. Ten and a half rounds. So I don't know. I think that anybody, like I said, having an easy time with Sean Porter. And anybody like if Terrence Crawford managed to stop Sean Porter, whether it's under ten and a half rounds or over, that's that's quite the feat. And that would be the the kind of thing where it would basically say, We need to see Crawford Spence. Like there's let's stop fucking around and let's do it.
1: I mean, enough is enough in the first place already, man. Like it's it's been long enough. Um, it's been so many years, so many back and forths. People are just getting over it too, to the point where it's almost be it's not quite the level of Mayweather Pacquiao. I don't think anything's gonna reach that level of ridiculousness, but
0: um, i was i swear i was just thinking like almost the exact same thing in my head like you know it's not to mayweather pacquiao levels but it is the similar situation i mean it's, it's
1: growing you know what i mean like mayweather <laughs> yeah, pacquiao is it's like everest in terms of bullshit and then this one is like quite teetering
0: it's, <laughs> yeah this is like kilimanjaro too yeah yeah not quite everest almost there
1: like the episode of the Simpsons when Homer was climbing the mountain, he thought he meets to the top and they looked up and saw the even bigger one and was just like, Oh yeah, that's Mayweather the Pacquiao. All right. Nothing will ever be that ridiculous again. But I mean, this one is, is still absurd. How many years have we been going back and forth now about this? About who's gonna fight who? Ever since Crawford moved up, moved up basically, no? And pretty much and like yeah. when was that? 2017 when he beat Jeff Warren, twenty eighteen, around that time. So,
0: yeah. So he was off almost a year and beat and beat Jeff Horn in 2018. So it's been a good three years that at least the idea could be feasible because he's at welterweight. But I mean, it's been pretty clear that it's that that was the fight that that he should be moving up for, you know, like that's that's what Eddie that's what everybody wanted. And that was pretty yeah. clear from the get-go. And, and since Crawford
1: saying- is one of those guys now, too, that he's an elite fighter, so that means he's only going to fight two times a year, like most guys. And those two times a year, you would hope that would be against the other elite competition, and it really hasn't been. I mean, Kell Brook and Amir Khan obviously were great fighters in their time and well-to-do, but they were both already past it by the time they got in the ring with Crawford. And... Neither one of them had anything to offer, uh, any type of resistance to offer that Crawford was going to get any type of, like, you know, real acclimation out of those fights. Like, he beat them, but everyone already kind of knew in the first place, oh, they already spent bullets. They should be fighting each other. Why are they getting shots at the best in the world? And then Green Machine, who gave Crawford a very good fight for that matter, is a very good fighter in himself, but still, again, why, you know, that should have been like just the in-between fight after, like, a super fight that he had, not just, like, a fight that he was going to have after beating Amir Khan, and then going from that to Kell Brook type deal. You know what I mean? He's he's stuck. Yeah, like he's just almost like in a rut. And people are saying he's wasting his prime. He's I don't even know if he's past his prime now. Like he's sitting on the vine because a guy this talented who should be in super fights and should be out there. And if he's considered one of the three best fighters in the world, then why can't he get the fights that? Why you know when the money should yeah. be there too? Like people have this interest. People are demanding these fights. Well,
0: and and it is kind of like a what's good for the goose is good for the gander situation when talking about Spence and Crawford too, because there has been a lot of criticism toward Spence. I mean, uh, guilty, you know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've criticized him and, and I, and in my opinion, I believe rightly so too, but you do have to also be critical of Terrence Crawford. Like for instance, I've been critical of Errol Spence. I know we're, this is not an Errol Spence episode, but I've been, it. it's going to come up anytime you talk about Terrence Crawford, period. I've been critical of him because obviously it seemed like for a while he was having a very difficult time getting his act together. Just about any time we saw him in public, not training or not fighting, he was drunk. I mean, it, it happened only like a, a handful, maybe a little bit more than a handful of times, but they were memorable and they were at pretty key times PR wise. So you know, he was born in 1990.
1: Look, what's that? He said he was born in nineteen ninety yeah. and twenty <laughs> yeah, fifteen. Or
0: you know, yeah, <laughs> acting a fool on social media and having to go hanging out with Broner. Yeah, going going back and deleting tweets the next day because it's foolish shit, you know, and like deleting or uh, tweeting slurry. You know, when you're when you're tweeting slurred, like like <laughs> you can't even get words right in your tweeting. You know, you need to step back. And so oh, I always anyway. make
1: sure, man, I put my phone away and just or like. Or something, whatever I, funky i don't even i don't even look at my phone 100 because i want to make sure i don't do nothing stupid
0: 100 not i'm would. i pretty good on i that, used but. to uh, i used to get all lit and be like whoo let's cruise twitter and then i i now if it's you know if it's if it's beyond a slight buzz the social <laughs> media goes off it can't it's not a good idea ever it's a, but the problem is that you know he's a professional athlete and he's a Uh, world-class welterweight. And then on top of just, you know, these public appearances, then of course he gets into a really bad accident where he gets pretty badly injured. You know, this is a bad look. And like I said, uh, but turnabout being fair play, Terrence Crawford at welterweight for the past three years, you know, looking at his, he's had five fights in three years. That's fairly inactive. And they've been Jeff Horn who. Granted, was undefeated at the time, but I think that we have now understand that he is just not on that level. Uh, Jose Benavidez Jr., who again, uh, very good fighter, undefeated at the time, but also just not on Terrence Crawford's level. All due respect to him, Amir Khan, good fighter, <laughs> goofball, <laughs> and crazy ass. Who you know has who seems to be one of those fighters where he'll have success and then just get knocked out. Green Machine, good fighter. I mean, these another undefeated fighter, but uh, these are this is not like a super strong resume. And Kel Brook has been kind of you know a bit of a spent bullet, or at least a uh, was thought of as a spent bullet for a while. He had and both that of was, his
1: eyes broken, man. Yeah, it's and it's and it's lot.
0: now been and it was pretty much confirmed against Terrence Crawford that it was you know that he probably shouldn't have been in there. And anyway. So this is not a good welterweight run. And there is, there does exist the possibility there that perhaps Terrence Crawford has gotten more complacent than we realize. Perhaps, you know, he's kind of taken for granted that he's had the success that he's had at welterweight and the competition hasn't been very good. Whereas Sean Porter's really had a fucking gauntlet. He's run the gauntlet, trial by fire. This is going to be
1: a year, bro, since, um, since Crawford's fought.
0: It, r- totally yeah he a year yesterday you know whereas and it's not as and uh it's not as if sean porter's been extremely busy himself but in you know comparing their welterweight run is like there's no comparison
1: oh absolutely not man porter is one of those guys that like me mentioned he's fought of who's who in the division already you know in terms of like the pbc guys he's he fought Ugas, who no one else has really tried to um, come out of the Pacquiao one. No one else is trying to get in touch, uh, get into the ring with. Uh, he fought Broner when Broner still had something to him. He, um, you know, Thurman, he fought Spence, Danny Garcia. So, like, he fights a who's who, you know what I mean? Even after all those guys, like, these other guys' Porter's have fought in between that. Like, he always fights tough competition. You know, he always seeks out the best and he always seeks the tough and he constantly fights at the top level guys. And like I said, him never being blown out at that top level when these are elite fighters is really impressive. And <clears throat> whether or not he gets the W, he's always in very, very entertaining fights regardless and good ones. So, yeah, man, this is, is, is going to be a tough one for Crawford considering. Like you mentioned, Porter has not been like super active himself. He's coming off of like, you know, a year layoff that's actually been a little bit longer than Crawford's is going to be. So both guys are fighting off rust in that regard. But again, um, you just know that this is a fight that Crawford's going to be motivated for because this is like the biggest one of his career in terms of publicity and everything else that's going for it. And this is Porter's chance, as he's been saying before, man. This is his last chance. This is his last one to get like a big, big bite of the ring and to get like the big win that he's been craving his entire career. So both guys are coming in motivated.
0: And he's, he's had a tough run. You know, what I mean, and and also I think style wise, his style is probably going to be a little bit more dependable, and maybe less dependent on reflexes, and you know, and affected by rust. Like you know, he know what he's going to do. He's going to come in and press, and he's going to be aggressive, regardless of whether he's been out a year or whatever. Not that that's not going to affect him, but I think that just his style is going to be a little bit more predictable. But look, dude, he's had a hard run. He's had a, a tough welterweight career. He's he's faced most of the top welterweights of the last, you know, eight to 10 years. And they're again, you know, just kind of hedging on that. There is also the possibility that he's uh, taken a little bit more damage and has been roughed up a little bit more than we realized. And that that winds up being really highlighted against somebody like Terrence Crawford, Who does pick opponents apart and does find their weaknesses? So, but the but these are all the intriguing things about this fight, in my opinion, that there are possibilities, uh, that lots of intangibles. Yes, there are a lot of X factors there, dude. A lot of what if Terrence Crawford gets a little overwhelmed by, you know, he he likes to set at the pace and kind of settle down, doesn't want to fight at a torrid pace and have to hammer out his opponent and shit like that. Generally speaking, he wants to like the
1: he likes to control the fight and have the fight go at the pace he wants and know right. that he can do what he wants and when he wants it like he likes everything in control and usually he's right. so talented enough to shut his, his opponent down that he's able to do that within you know three four rounds he adjusts to whatever his opponent's doing figures them out pretty much from there and then makes his opponent and then dictates it so the way his opponent has to go to his pace then yeah, I think everything goes from there. Because as you see each time, as he gets more and more control with the fight, things more and more as they round until, like we said, he gets bored with it and fin- time to finish him off.
0: Totally, yeah. And and Sean Porter might not let him settle into that pace. But that's that's the push and pull between those styles. You know, the aggression and trying to overwhelm uh, like the – the guy that's aggressive trying to overwhelm the boxer puncher and the boxer puncher trying to prevent that from happening. So that's, what's interesting about this fight. Um, I'm, I'm personally really looking forward to it. Like what, what do you think is going to wind up happening in this fight? Do you think that Terrence Crawford's going to prove that he wind that, that the Spence fight needs to happen? Or do you think that Sean Porter's going to shock him?
1: Um, I'm probably going with the majority on this one. I think that Crawford has enough tools in his bank that he'll he'll be able to pull it out. Um, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a really tough fight, and I'm excited for it because I think you know Crawford's gonna be pushed to the limit in this one. That's what I've been waiting to see for years. Even though there's been little bits here and there where he's been tagged, he's you know had a little bit of difficulty, but it never really lasts more than like a round or two before he's already back in control. So this is gonna be a fight where. He's fighting an elite guy, finally, who's absolutely motivated as hell for this fight, who's going to push him. And we're going to see now, I guess, you know, Crawford has even said before to a degree that we really haven't seen his best yet. That he hasn't had to, like, unleash all of his tools on someone. And hopefully Porter's going to be able to be the guy to do that. So I'm not going to predict a stoppage because I just, I don't know anyone can that can stop Porter. Porter's such a strong guy, strong-willed guy. He can be hurt. He did. Look at the way he came back against Spence, for example, when he got dropped, right? Came in, was pissed off at himself, got up, waved at him to come right back in, started landing, actually got the better of Spence a little bit at the end of that round. Like, that's the type of dude Porter is. So, totally. that being yeah. said, as talented as Crawford is, I can't see him stopping him, but I can see him winning a commanding decision like 116-112.
0: I think that that's I think that that's a, a pretty good call. Um, I think that the the criticism for for Terence Crawford or the criticism against Terence Crawford or whatever even though it's at least in part perhaps not totally his fault ultimately he chose his promoter and I guess he could have been more vocal about uh, wanting X-Fight or Y-Fight or whatever but also we know how that works. We know that Promoters wind up being able to punish their fighters by keeping them inactive, shelving them, giving them fights that make them look bad, etc. So we know how that goes, but the fact that Sean Porter, I mean, there's a very strong argument, if, if not a very clear argument, that Sean Porter is the best fighter that Terrence Crawford has faced. And the fact that he's not even the best welterweight is I think that's kind of a lot of the mystery here with Terrence Crawford. How, how is Terrence Crawford going to respond to somebody who is not the best welterweight, but has a difficult style? And then what is that going to mean for Terrence Crawford? And so there's like this other kind of, there, there's this other realm uh, on this fight, you know, this other kind of layer of, is this going to be a, ju- or a not a justification, but is this, is this going to solidify the idea that Terrence Crawford was elite the whole time? Or is Sean Porter going to call that into question? Is he going to challenge Terrence Crawford enough that all, a lot of the people who are Terrence Crawford detractors or Errol Spence supporters or whatever you know cross-section that is, will they be justified in saying, nah, Terrence Crawford was never that good in the first place? And look, now we saw Sean Porter give him a whole bunch of shit and almost win or win, whatever the case may be. So there's kind of a a lot writing on this, especially for Terrence Crawford. For Sean Porter, for sure. But I don't think there's any question. You know, Sean Porter loses this fight. Okay, so what? He loses to Terrence Crawford. We know that he's going to be in a fun fight in the future. You know, put him on TV. It's all good. And if not, that's okay, too. He's doing a great job commentating on Showtime. Uh, You know, he's just one of the snazziest fucking dressers I've ever seen in my life. You know, apart from you, of course. And I mean, dude, I mean, the, the guy's, uh, he's pretty likable. I think he's pretty funny. And he's got a, in my opinion, a great career of like being an analyst or something. Oh, like yeah, that, man. Porter, that
1: Porter has a fine, fine career ahead of him. He's doing
0: hes He seems like a cool guy, too. Absolutely. So for me, like it, to me, like a loss here, that doesn't do much for him. A loss for Terrence Crawford is a massive derailment for his career. Because there's, it's all been pointing toward Errol Spen- a showdown with Errol Spence or whoever it is that beats Errol Spence or whatever. It's all, been, it's all been pointed in that direction. So I don't know what's going on with Errol Spence health-wise. I don't know if his eye uh, um, is healthy enough, and I don't know exactly what's happening. But assuming he's healthy enough and can go forward with his career, that's where he's been pointed. So if Terrence Crawford is derailed either by a loss or getting beaten up in a win you know it's 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 going to be a tougher sell and on top of being a tougher sell it's going to be tough for him to argue that he deserves 50 50 or you know the lion's share for a spence fight
1: absolutely you nailed it man he um he's still not one like even though he's recognized as one of the top fighters pound pound in the world he's not one of the biggest stars in the sport because, like, you know, let me look at his resume, how often he's been fighting, and also for a variety of other reasons, too. You know, the way he, the promotions over the year, he's not as popular as, a, say, like a Canelo, not as personal outside the ring either, I guess. So um, you add in all those factors, and Crawford kind of needs, like, these big, vic- these big victories because he's not as big of a, you know, he's a popular name, and people know him, especially within the world. But, like, casual fans are just people on outside general are not going to be as familiar with him as they would be for like someone else, like a big, big, big name in the sport. So he needs these big victories. If he doesn't, that does plummet him really badly in terms for a variety of things, not only with his career, because people now are not going to be looking, going out their way to try to fight him. Well, if he just lost to Porter, you know, now we don't need necessarily need to fight him. Then yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for him to come back from something like that. As opposed to a person like Porter who. Has been in this role before, is not expected to win, so to speak, but expected to give him a really tough time. So, if he loses this fight, well, that has happened to him before. He, this is his position, so to speak. He gives the best fighters out there absolute gut checks, but usually just falls short. It happens. So,
0: totally. Um, yeah, Ed, I like the fight a lot. And I think that you, I, I'm going to agree with your pick, dude. I think that Terrence Crawford should probably take it most likely by decision and probably I would guess that he pulls away in the championship rounds or like 10, 11, 12. Um, that's where he he makes it a clear separation. So it's kind of like a 9-3-8-4 type of fight where perhaps there's some argument, you know, that Sean Porter definitely gave him some trouble, but that Terrence Crawford definitely won and should move forward uh, and face whom, whomever. But it should be a fun fight. I like the fight unfortunately i wish it were supported by a slightly better undercard but that's that's just kind of like the story i hope that it winds up being competitive because that's the best case scenario here here in my Um, opinion so doing just kind of quick a quick run i was gonna i was
1: gonna say um
0: go ahead yeah please um
1: i was gonna think like this so you know i was thinking earlier and maybe i'm off on this but like i was thinking this fight i'm almost comparing it kind of to like mike mccallum donald curry in a way so the way i'm going with this is that like terence crawford is in the mccallum spot at this moment right like mccallum back in the 80s he was craving for a fight with you know leonard duran more more realistically more realistically duran or Hurts as opposed to leonard or Hagler, as people have gone on back and you know throughout history but like he was an undefeated champion recognized as one of the better champions in the world. You know what I mean? But a guy that was craving attention is still kind of flying under the radar, even though he had quality wins over an undefeated Julian Jackson, Milton McCrory, you know, so on and so forth. But he still didn't have like a big signature win and he wasn't going to get that big fight yet. Wasn't going to get that big fight with Duran or Hearns or whoever it was that he was craving to really put himself in the spotlight. Enter Donald Curry. Donald Curry was coming, you know, even though he was recognized as one possibly the best pound for pound fighter at the world at one point he was upset at you know by um Lloyd Hunnigan when he moves up in weight now and his reputation's been slightly tainted since then he's not quite recognized now as the best but he's moved up and even though like the it's I'm not going to consider him like Porter like they're in different roles at that point Curry I think was more regarded as like a top guy than Porter was but you see where I'm going with this right so like This was like McCallum's night to shine. Maybe not against the guy that he's looking for, like the biggest name out there, but he's still like a big recognizable name that he really needs this win for because otherwise he loses this, he plummets. And instead he scored that spectacular knockout. So,
0: Well, and that's, yeah. And I think that that is, is in that regard, a pretty good comparison where it's like an opportunity for Terrence Crawford to really... seize momentum or whatever you want to call it, an opportunity for him to show that there has to be a demand for him to fight whoever it is, or, you know, at welterweight that's calling themselves a man or that he is going to be it. And so there is an opportunity for him to do that. Is it possible for him to do that? I mean, I think, yes, I think that it is possible for him to do that. I think that Sean Porter is there to be hit enough, you know, he's he's not going to be difficult to find. And that if uh Terrence Crawford can figure out the right kind of like uh, the right kind of counters as Sean Porter moves in, or something like that, or if he keeps leaning in and he figures out how to step back an uppercut or something like that, uh, that there is the opportunity because Terrence Crawford is a good puncher at both 140 and 147 for him to potentially stop Sean Porter or hurt him, whatever. But it's, it's the kind of thing where he's going to have to take a risk. He's going to have to step outside of what he usually does. Like you brought up earlier, he usually kind of like feels his way around. And he's not, he's not going to strike unless he knows for sure it's safe. And the only times that, that's happened where he's not done that is when he's been threatened. Where a fighter has gone in and hurt him or tried to hurt him, tried to follow up. But he's like, wham, bam, that shit ain't happening. And that's, you know that's just the kind of fighter he is but it, there is an opportunity for him to to do something spectacular
1: absolutely man it's gonna be a good fight and it's one of those fights too like you were just about to and you were just alluding to it's not supported by a great undercard because hey what pay-per-view show is nowadays right <laughs> that's <laughs> not the 90s crazy. no more my
0: friend man, it's <laughs> And even in the 90s, a lot of those shows were sometimes few and far between, but they were more often than now. I mean, no, no,
1: you know what? I get really nostalgic all the time and start weaving all that poetic about, oh, the 90s and all this (laughs) bullshit, but no. For every, like, Revenge of the Rematches, there was one of those bum-ass cards that Bob Aaron would put on with Butterbean, Mia St. John, and, like, Vasily Jiroff knocking (laughs) over the (laughs) can. (laughs) Okay?
0: (laughs) No, and I mean, it's it's... It's true. Like there, there were really good cards, but there were shitty cards too. But I would say that the, the filled pay-per-views there, there aren't too many of those these days, the last really good pay-per-view that I can remember. And I was kind of skeptical as to whether or not it would be even good. Like, and everybody kept saying that it was going to be good. And I was like, eh, I don't know. It was that twin Charlo pay-per-view that that wound up being really, really good. But, um, Regardless, long night, night. yeah, dude. There have been a few where that have been like I didn't expect much out of them, and they wound up being really good. But, um, yeah, regardless, uh, this is not, in my opinion, either on paper or likely to turn out to be a particularly good undercard. We have, uh, Esquiva Falcao, the Brazilian, I believe he was a silver medalist, uh, Olympic medalist, against Patrice Volney, who is a dude from Montreal. Um, I watched a little bit of video of him and some IBF middleweight eliminator. And I think I told you earlier, uh, Patrice Volney reminded me a little bit of like a uh, Lamont Peterson in a different class, like not quite on the level of a Lamont Peterson, in my opinion, from what I saw. And so I would kind of imagine Falcao will likely take that. And then uh it looks like the ghost... Formerly known as H- Hassan and Dom. No, I'm just kidding. Hassan, Hassan and Dom. I can't believe he's still active bro. Yeah, a name from a handful of years ago. I mean, not that long ago, but long I enough. I it's ago been a that,
1: long time. It's been a decade since Peter Quillen was bouncing him off the canvas on. Yeah, so he, it's, he was in the first part. He was in the first fight on Barclays. He was in the part of that first card.
0: And you, and it's ass kind ass of problem, like <laughs> you kind of have to at some point just step up and admit that even though the guy has name recognition, the name recognition is because he got his ass kicked by somebody better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, last
1: I'm... time I saw him in a fight, the last high-profile fight I think he was in was on a DAZN show I worked um, against, what was it, the uh, Smith. Callum Smith? I think it was Callum Smith. Yeah,
0: it's, he's he does and not. And
1: Callum Smith, like, I don't even, I'm not even sure if N-Dam landed more than a handful of punches, but Smith bounced him in like two or three rounds it was it was bad like he had no balance he had no he had no business being in there so the fact that he's being used again is just kind of lame
0: yeah he's he's taking on um a dude named Johnabek ali mcnulli I'm not super familiar with him, but he's unbeaten, and I would imagine that Andom's being brought in to lose, quite frankly. And then uh, a couple of fighters that I'm pretty unfamiliar with, and Raymond Muratalia and Steven Ortiz are fighting. And like I told you, the most interesting fight to me on the undercard is probably the one that's on the ESPN Plus portion, the very opening portion of the show, which is Isaac Dogboy and... Uh, Christopher Pitufo Diaz which is a very clear crossroads type of fight where uh, Isaac Dogboy is like kind of a you know you need to do something in this fight or you're going to really seriously think about getting out of here buddy and Pitufo Diaz is obviously hot at the moment and a lot of people are touting him as a you know, uh, the future, what net, or whatnot. So it's, it's a clear crossroads fight that I like a lot. But beyond that, it's, well, it's not going to be a particularly a strong card. Both guys have
1: like fun styles that will mesh well as well. Dogbo is always in good fights and he's a fun, he's an entertaining guy. So he has a, he's oh, coming man. off of a solid win too against um, Hector Lopez's kid.
0: What was it, Adam Lopez? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's a pretty good fight. But, uh, <laughs> Something that I, I actually uh, a, a slightly more uh worth mentioning or considerably more worth mentioning uh is the fight the fight card the night before so on Friday. Uh, yep, <laughs> yeah, this guy, oh man, poor boo boo. No, just um, me again, <laughs> just me again. So, Boo Boo Andre Demetri- Demetrius Andre is headlining a uh, DAZN card the night before, so Friday, November nineteenth, and he is fighting Jason Quigley. Not, you know, the the highest level of fight in my opinion, but he's, I think, headlining. I guess headlining, but far more interesting on that card. In my opinion, Julio Cesar Martinez versus McWilliams Arroyo for the uh, WBC flyweight title should be a very good fight. McWilliams Arroyo brings it. Julio Cesar Martinez, very good fighter. And then also very important, Callie Reese taking on Jessica Kamara also on that card. So, I mean, uh, 140 pound, you know, for the 140 pound title, man, it's that's actually a good card. I wish that would have been the undercard. Pretty much all of that would have been the undercard for for Crawford Porter, but you can't get it all, you know.
1: I mean, for you know, you got to admit Eddie Hearn usually stacks his cards pretty well. He doesn't just overcharge eighty bucks and just kind of throws you whatever while making sure that you're just going to pay for the main event. So there's always usually a couple of quality like title fights under there. Whether they make sense in that location or not is um, up to you, I guess. But hey, I'm always up for a solid card regardless.
0: Well, the the fact that it's in New Hampshire too, uh, I mean, it's at the very least, it's interesting that it's in New Hampshire because that's a state that well, doesn't see a ton of boxing, like at ever. least not on that level. No, definitely not. I think
1: well, they're trying to play it off, and we, I guess, we all discovered this today that they were saying um, that this was the first title fight ever in New Hampshire, and that just wasn't the case. I think it was. We found our buddy Gray told us earlier that it was actually. Um, it was it Sam Langford against Barbados Joe Walcott for the welterweight title back in, right. early 1900. Yeah, in
0: uh, September of 1904? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, not trying to rain on DeZone's parade no, 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 or anything no. like that, but I guess there is some. It's just showing some... you
1: how often, like, we're just giving you an idea of how long's the last time big time boxing has really been around New Hampshire. <laughs> like, for it's sure. not a state that gets anything like that.
0: Right. I mean, if you got to go down to go back to 1904. Like, yeah, even guess, Maine,
1: even Maine was getting more action with
0: boxing yeah, with like Joey Gamash and stuff. So, it's like fallen out of copyright at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, you're you're good to say you're good to say that it's the first New Hampshire. No, I mean, it's 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 it was even tenuous, I guess, between Sam Langford and Joe Walcott because it wasn't clear from what I could see what exactly Sam Langford weighed in at because I kept seeing fight reports where they called him light heavyweight. But whatever, I mean, either way, it is pretty cool to have uh, a venue or a you know a there's locale going to a there. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's gonna
1: be a good, there's gonna be a good crowd there. Absolutely,
0: like Cali people are
1: gonna travel from New England for Providence and everything to go see Boo Boo because that's not far at all. And then um, his opponent Quigley also with a contingent from Boston, I'm sure he's gonna bring in because that's really a hop to skip away from New Hampshire. So yeah, that's gonna be a raucous crowd, and like you mentioned considering that they never get big, big time boxing like that, and things will be priced relatively well, I'm sure for tickets. Yeah, man, it's going to be a cool atmosphere. I kind of wish I was there.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really know what kind of crowd they can expect. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. I have absolutely no idea whether or not they're going to be able to, to attract much, but I do know that Callie Reese in particular has been gaining in popularity in the last few years. She's on a really good run. Uh, I, we were talking earlier, uh, about her fight with Cecilia Bracus and I said, I thought she probably should have, or could have won that fight. A lot of people said that at the time, uh, back in 2018, when that happened, I think Cecilia Bracus has clearly been, um, I don't want to say exposed, but just, I think that it's been, it's, it's become clear (laughs) that she was kind of toward the end of her career for whatever that's worth. But regardless, if if you give Callie Reese that win, you know, she should be undefeated since mid-2017, and she would be on a pretty good run. Even if you don't spot her that win, though, she's on a pretty good run and has been uh, doing really well and, like I said, gaining in popularity. And one of the things that I just had to look up because I wasn't going to mention it and remembered, uh, she actually is starring in a movie coming up that's going to be released in February 2022, but it's already been produced and is you know in it's already wrapped and all that type of stuff called catch the fair one that is i guess a kind of a mystery type of movie and she's the lead star in it um and apparently from what i was reading it's actually been screened at some i don't know what festivals and i couldn't tell you whether or not they're important in the film industry i'm just being honest but it did sound like they'd been screened at some festivals and had been very well received so in any case, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's always good to see number one representation of boxing, you know, anywhere in media and stuff like that in a, in a positive way, but also representation of indigenous people, which Callie, Reese, Callie Reese is, um, you know, and she's also extremely vocal about that issue. So it's really cool to see that she's being, uh, you know, being the fo- one of the focus focal points yeah, of that future, boxing boy. card.
1: It's awesome to see the women's renaissance in
0: boxing. Really is one. The last year, couple years, have been huge. Uh, yeah, I think really eye opening for a lot of fans. I hope My big strides. And it was cool to hear, you know, um, the the news
1: recently with Clarissa Shields as well, that she just broke that a uh, seven figure deal. It was right.
0: It looks like she's going to be uh, fighting for. I think it's a sky sports supported company called boxer with a few X's in it, sure. but it's uh, you know, it's it, almost kind of like a show box type of thing, but not, not prospect level. It seems like not um, like an ongoing series, but in any case uh, it's going, it's going to be more British or UK based. It sounds like, But they're going to be branching out. And it's, hey, man, anything that's providing more opportunities, especially for women's boxing, I consider that good. Uh, Clarissa Shields, whether or not you like her style, whether or not you like her personality, has clearly paid some dues in boxing and deserves some respect and some fucking pay. So I'm happy to see her get that. And hopefully those kinds of things also lead to somebody like Callie Reese getting better paydays and getting more exposure so I mean this the card this weekend is definitely a step toward that but she's she is also in a pretty competitive fight
1: that's what the best thing is about usually you know when you can find a a women's fight that can be actually really competitive at that top level because it's tough you know Shields is recognized and calls herself the greatest woman of all time but at the same time, look at the competition that she has out there. I mean, it's easy to be the top one. There's only just a handful of fighters even as active as pros, let alone top ones. But as the lower weights go down, the competition does get stiffer. And um, that division around welterweight, and welterweight over in, the, in, the, in women's boxing is very deep. And now that um, Cecilia Breakus, who was consensus pound for pound, the best women's fighter in the world at one time, has been knocked off her mantle by Jessica McCas- McCaskill, is it? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's created almost like an open door for for this division. I mean, she's up atop as the champ, but I mean, like, I don't know. There just seems like there's a lot of movement going on, and this is big now for Callie Reese. Like you said, it was making a lot of momentum. This is a big showcase for her. And considering, too, that it's in New England and New Hampshire – where a lot of her fans can easily travel over to that. She's going to have a good, a good follower.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And I hope that there's a a pretty good showing and a pretty good turnout for the, for the card. But man, I don't know, man.
1: I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I'd rather talk to somebody who is more familiar with the New Hampshire shows than I would be, I guess, in terms of the boxing scene. But the one time I went out there for a fight a long, long time ago, um, to, to work a Cedric show with my old boss, late Grace Cedric Kushner. People were out there and they were pretty packed up. You know, live boxing doesn't come out there often. It was featuring a washed Omar Sheikah against some Midwestern guy, which ended up being a hell of a fight, but they were there. You know, people showed up. So who knows? I it think for a world cool. title fight that they know is going to be on televised and stuff like that, this isn't an event. That happens often in new hampshire like most people that live in new hampshire if they want for like a live sporting event like that big they gotta go to boston though no? to like see the red sox celtics or whatever it may be so the fact that they can actually just travel to it and it's a, it's a you know close enough like a hop and a skip away from them it's probably even more enticing
0: yeah i would imagine dude i mean it's it's uh, pretty close to some it's uh, close to a cluster of big cities and I, I Hampshire
1: is really close to Massachusetts, like Boston. It's really, really
0: close. When it, dude, when it comes to uh, Demetrius Andrade, I mean, just to briefly talk about him and, and his situation at middleweight. I mean, dude, the, the fact of the matter is there aren't really very many people who are all that interested. in. like, I'll watch him fight. I don't have any particular issue with him. I'm just not going to like go out of my way. And I think that that's how most people feel. They're, they'll watch him fight. Mm-hmm. They don't have a problem with them. They're just not going to go out of their way. And then he just—he's like so goofy, but not in a way that's like endearing. He's goofy in a way that's like annoying. And so, even in his
1: fights, like his fights, he's regressed in a way because he goes out there demanding no one wants to fight. I'm the boogeyman of the division. I'm this. I'm that. Why fight him when, like, and every time he goes in there against a guy who's clearly overmatched, he doesn't put an exclamation on his point where people are going to be, well, like, you know, I want him to fight Canelo. I need him to fight uh, one of the Charlos. Well, I mean, he gets more attention to fight the Charlos than Canelo, but, like, there's no, for him begging to fight Canelo for so long and to fight any of these other top guys is saying everyone's ducking him. And then he goes out there and fights a guy like Luke Keeler. And goes the distance with someone at, like of that without even trying, like you can tell he's just a sparring session for, him, you know, or, or so, the guy before that was a, uh, I can't pronounce his name. Suki Saluki. you know, Saluki. The, yeah. yeah. But like these guys have been completely overmatched. Couldn't even land a glove on him. And instead of him going out there and putting the gas on it and really trying to make a statement and taking someone out like he should to get the wheels rolling. Instead, he just kind of coasts and goofs around at the end and makes exaggerated things where he becomes a goofy meme from, from it. And he expects people to go out there and demand that they want to fight. Like, no, you know, that's his problem. He's been kind of it, like stuck between a rock and a hard place ever since the beginning of his career, like you were saying, because of bad business decisions that he made early on, who he hooked up with early on as a promo- at, for promoters and stuff like that. Like, when he gets out of the Olympics, you know, <clears throat> it was a little bit of a disappointment that he didn't meddle. Like people were expecting, but he was still had a name coming out of there. And instead of signing with somebody big, he ended up going with Joe Duarte or Artie Palullo and like a co-promotional deal with them. And, you know, when, when he, it took for a while for him to really get momentum going and he wasn't really featuring much on a lot of things until finally he, he got that fight with Bonus on HBO and he didn't look impressive in that one. He got dropped in it and then like kind of struggled to a, to a decision win, but he got a title. HBO was still going to be invested in him and still working, you know, and tried to was going to give him um, fights. He had a couple of his fights televised. It looked like he was gaining momentum because he was actually knocking these guys out. And then when that fight with Charlo was supposed to happen on Showtime, everything kind of fell apart in his career, it seems, since then. Because I don't remember what the, the whole backstory on it, but for whatever it was, that fight, which a lot of people were anticipating, fell apart. And at that point, that probably was going to be a winnable fight for Andre because he was still more disciplined than what he is now with his technique and everything. So once that happened, man, he's been like... It's just been like a lot of starting and stopping. Even though he's been champion consistently and is most and still undefeated, he's never really been able to gain momentum ever since that fight, ever since that fight fell through. I mean, dude, he's been pro since 2008. He's only had 30 pro fights.
0: Well, and... It seems like they've tried just about everything, dude. Like, they've tried gimmicks. He's like... Excuse me. They have him on uh, at other fight cards. They interview him. He's fairly dull, fairly bland. You know, he doesn't really have a very engaging personality. He kind of tries to shoot, shout some catchphrases out there that are strange. I mean, no, I don't know. Like I said, he's a goofball, dude. I don't really... I don't think really many people clamor to see him really relate to him etc so it's difficult dude and uh, it's not that i don't feel his pain Uh, he does probably deserve a bigger fight with uh one of i don't know golovkin or so i mean and that's the really shitty that'd be a
1: really interesting fight actually considering how you know past it golovkin is now absolutely
0: and and that's uh, that's kind of like the extra shitty thing here in my opinion at least from my standpoint is that they seem to, Dazone seemed to nab up Golovkin so that he could fight Canelo, and it happened once. And then Golovkin's otherwise kind of been just, you know, shelved for the most part. And then they nabbed up Demetrius Andrade, presumably, so that they can have this little middleweight, you know, whatever. And that didn't happen either. And it's like... It's been a complete disaster. Everything fell apart. What did you do this for, you know? Like what He you wasted guys, all and then, that money for nothing. Yet. And they lost Canelo. So it's like... Yeah, I think Triple G. I don't you, know. Is this
1: fight on DAZN coming up? Or isn't that on Amazon
0: Prime or some shit? <laughs> I mean, dude, it's bad. It's real bad. So, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I do feel bad for Demetrius Andrade. It's just that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. He's just doing for himself
1: him. no favors, man. Yeah, and Quigley, I don't know what I'm
0: supposed to do for the guy.
1: Quigley's another guy, too. It's like, it's another fight that it's... He's not going to get anything out of these fights, and eventually he's going to get upset in one of them. Like, that's, the, that's going to get to the point of that. Like, even in his last fight against Liam Williams,
0: he yeah, was hurt. The, the running around and the, you know, yeah. ducking, and
1: what the and hell he are you doing, He was hurt a few times in that fight. Like, in, you know, a guy like Williams shouldn't have been able, you know, no offense to Williams, he's a good fighter, but he shouldn't have laid a glove on. He really shouldn't yeah. have. And when Andre dropped him around too, and this is like how it always is in his fights, bro. He drops a guy early, looks like he's going to blow him out, looks really good the first few rounds because he's actually like, comes out there, you know, throwing and being fast and explosive. And then he just stops and he gets into this thing and just starts coasting because he realizes the guy can't hurt him. And then he doesn't want to step on the gas. And I don't know what he decides to do, but it's just, it doesn't do anybody favors. And does he's he
0: realize, does he even realize that the great Howard Eastman? The 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 Howard Eastman held the WBO middleweight. Does he even understand that he's disgracing Howard Eastman? <laughs> Probably
1: not. Absolutely not. Howard Eastman's the dude that used to have the blonde beard, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. He was he had the like monk haircut because he was going bald. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he exactly. was an
1: interesting dude.
0: Yeah, I saw his I saw <laughs> uh Bernard Hopkins versus Howard Eastman at uh stable center. Nice. Yeah. I, don't I think I I might have the t-shirt somewhere, but I don't even know. But I'm but. just, yeah, man, he
1: needs to, I mean, Quigley is not a bad fighter, but Quigley's not a world beater either. He's like a guy who lost to Toriano Johnson. Johnson's a good fighter himself, but he's not an elite fighter. So that kind of gives you the level of where Quigley is at, right? So Andrade obviously should be able to be, beat this guy relatively easy around him. But where does he go from here? What, you know, where is he to do? Canelo clearly has no interest never in wanting to fight him. And that fight's never going to happen. There's still the Charlo brothers and, you know, Chris Mannix and others have been demanding that fight left and right. And that's a fight that, you know, probably should happen. It should have happened years ago. But for whatever, like we mentioned, once it fell apart, it's never really been brought up again. And, you know, with that being said, that's the fight that should be made. That's the one they should be trying to go after because the Canelo one's never going to happen. Whether or not it can happen... Is another whole other story, but that's the one that needs to be done. You know, what I mean, if that's like his big one, I think that's a winnable fight for him too. Like Andre, for all of his goofiness and everything like that, if he actually stayed disciplined and really stuck to his game plan, I think he can outbox Charlo relatively, you know, comprehensively. If he can't, if he doesn't get caught, that is. But I don't know if that fight will ever get made either, you know?
0: It, well, and I think you pretty much nailed it when you said that he's not doing anything in the ring to make those fights a demand he's not doing anything to make it so that you know people are demanding that he like the, people want to see it and i think like me generally recognize that he deserves them but there's no demand and without any demand nobody cares
1: No. Yeah. like if a fight that's, with charlo was made people would have interest in it and be like all right cool it's gonna be a good fight. it'll be an interesting fight to watch but no one's out there saying this needs to be done. If he has another whole hump fight this Friday where he goes the distance and wins 118, 110, 120, 108, whatever it is, but doesn't do anything out of the ordinary to push it and people have fallen asleep and saying, what the hell is this? Runs around like he's done in other fights and just does stupid antics. Then I, he's, he has all of himself to blame at that point because what else is there to be done? There's literally nothing else you can do. Yep, It's like, this is who he is. You can't go out demanding fights and doing that when you start putting in performances
0: like that because no one's going to want to see you. Well, just like Canelo said, get the fuck out of here.
1: Yeah, you know. Get the can fuck out of here. I think Canelo obviously <laughs> would be the major favorite in it, but I think Android has a style even more so than Plant that can give Canelo face for a little bit.
0: It's one of those styles where if he puts it together, it's a, it's a pain in the ass style for sure. But there is that possibility too that Canelo just beats the ever-loving dog shit out of him, and then that's it. But but that and for a lot of people would would be you know getting rid of Boo Boo, and that would be we wouldn't have to worry about that shit. But dude, before we I actually forgot the other day when we did the Hall of Fame episode. But before we get out of here today, um, I did want to answer. So on Instagram, I asked. You know, if there was any any questions anybody had or anything like that. And I forgot to an- to ask them the other day. So Rocket Rod from uh I would imagine Queensland. I know he's from Australia, but he has QLD at the end of his name. So I think he's from Queensland. In any case, he said, um he asked what our favorite random movie or like TV boxer cameo came like uh not so much a boxing role like Antonio Tarver in Rocky Six, more like Tex Cobb in X Files, or Jake L- Jake LaMotta in The Hustler. And then his second question was thoughts on a fantasy fantasy matchup between 1973 uh, George Foreman against 1994 George Foreman. So those are a couple of pretty good questions, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: the first one. It was kind of boxing related when he made the cameo, but it still it doesn't get talked about enough because it was absolutely hilarious. It was when Hector Camacho one time made an, um played on an episode of um the Wayne's Brothers a long time ago. And I didn't know that. Yeah, he was on the episode of the Wayne's Brothers one time. And <laughs> he was he was whole, he was in the gym, his name was Hot Pepper Lopez. And um he was in the gym. I guess visiting his old gym and Marlon was training or something like that. I, I don't know what he was doing. He was being goofy, but Camacho decided while the cameras were rolling because he was doing a documentary, Hot Pepper Lopez, Camacho held, holds the bag for Marlon and Marlon's hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And then when he wasn't looking, he hit, he hit Camacho by accident and knocked him out. And so Camacho got pissed off about it, challenged him to a fight, and then they, um, you know, that's the end of the episode they have a big match against each other, which ends up being
0: hilarious. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> so in the vein of, like, uh, Tommy Hearns, Martin.
1: Yeah, yeah, something similar to that. But it's, like, it, it's even more goofier, like, at one point. Um, <laughs> they, because uh, Marlon's nickname becomes Sucker Punch. So he um <laughs> Marlon Sucker Punch Williams. Yeah. So at one point during the during the boxing match, like the bell rings to, for the round to end and Marlon ran up and put and slapped Camacho in the head and the crowd started chanting sucker punch and he starts dancing around cheering about it. And um, <laughs> the other part that was really funny was the guy, I think Sean or someone took like all the Vaseline you can imagine and globbed it on his forehead and, and um the face mask. And so when Camacho tried punching it, his hands kept on slipping off and he was looking at the referee saying, What the hell? Because Marlon just put his head down like this where everything was going. <laughs> that was that was just one of them. I mean, there's so many to think of off the top of my head, but like that when I was a little kid, then when Marvin Hagler showed up on Punky Brewster, I thought that was cool. I, mean, I had no idea who Hagler was when I was a little kid and saw that episode. I'm not gonna pretend that I did, but as an adult and you know, growing up and learning about it
0: and stuff like that. I think one of the one of the ones that I mean I didn't know this at the time, or I wouldn't have recognized it at the time. But knowing about it now, actually, two two fighters were on this show. Uh, Alexis Arguello was on Miami Vice, and then sure. Roberto Duran was also on Miami Vice. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they both played like drug dealers or something or something similar. Um, there was a lot yeah. of people on Miami Vice. Miles
1: Davis played yep. a drug dealer on Miami Vice.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were all I mean, dude, Coke, I guess, was the shit in, in Miami <laughs> in the nineteen eighties. So yeah, there was always somebody they needed somebody to be dealing some coke on Miami Vice, I guess. Remember but, Duran
1: um, Duran on um in uh Harlem Nights?
0: Yep. <laughs> Duran was in Harlem Knights <laughs> too, yeah. Um trying to think what else. Um Oh, Carlos Palomino. He was in a bunch of shit, actually. He was in I Taxi, think he, I think, right? A couple yeah, of times. He was in Taxi, and he's been in like a handful of movies, too. like, yes. Like, notable movies. Ray Mancini
1: um, was in movies and on TV shows all the time.
0: Yeah, dude. Yeah, Carlos wow. Palomino was actually in a bunch of TV commercials, too. Like, he was actually, a lot of people don't realize, he was actually pretty big in his day. Um, oh, huge. Absolutely.
1: Those Palomino yeah. Miller light commercials were always fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's a string of them for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, um, there's there are a bunch of like boxer cameos and stuff like that. I, I actually didn't even, I probably should have looked. I didn't Google that. But I bet you if you Googled boxer cameos on TV or movies or something like that, there's probably, there have been so many boxing forums and stuff like that. There's probably a, a thread somewhere of them.
1: Um, here's not, it wasn't a cameo that I watched the other day, but it was a name drop. That had me absolutely dying on martin and um so martin you know martin always had a boxing background like legitimately so he always like incorporated and yeah. do his shows and so at one point i don't know i forgot what episode it was i think it was they were trying to figure out gino was pregnant so he was at the he was at the pharmacy and the guy behind the counter was an elderly guy who's been in other episodes he was but like he was really elderly and shuffling along and being really slow and stuff right so Long story short, Martin starts antagonizing the guy because <laughs> he's pissed off at him. And the guy's and the old guy tells him, he was like, You better show me my respect. And Martin goes, What'd you say to me? He goes, and he and the guy gets up and he goes, You show me my respect, or I'll whip you like I whipped Jersey Joe Walcott in 37. <laughs> and then he pushed the table away and Martin ran away.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I thought that's that was pretty awesome. fucking good. Yeah, he said, uh, i whip you like I whipped Jersey That's Joe true. Walcott in 1937. He pushed the table away and Martin ran van out of the store, freaked out.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of Tex Cobb, dude, he's been in a bunch. He's in Raising Arizona, great Cohen Brothers movie. He's in uh, Ace Ventura.
1: Well, oh, yeah, he was great in Ace Ventura. Yeah, dude,
0: The bad guy in the beginning. He was actually in a bunch of movies, too. He's been in a few football movies and shit. Like, he's he seems like a, a dude that would be a, a hoot to have some drinks with, and, you know. Even The Simpsons
1: with. had cartoon fighters in it, like Jer, um, yep. Joe Frazier was in it one time. That's true. He got into a fight with Barney. Um, Oscar DeLoy was on They've Lord had a bunch. On one like one Ray
0: Leonard was on it. Oscar Hoya was Coney. on it. Yeah, they've had a bunch, for sure. And then, of and then course, George they had Coney, Red Red Ratatum the
1: joke on him because he walked up and tried to play security and got knocked out immediately. <laughs>
0: Oh, I, I totally forgot. I forgot about this one. Riddick Bo in Fresh Prince. Was he? I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah. There's a yeah, there's an episode of Fresh Prince where they're they're on like a road trip or they're doing something. I don't remember. Like they're they're at some roadside diner or some shit. And they damn, I can't remember. It's I, I would bet that it's on YouTube, but they're at some roadside diner or some shit. And, uh, I think it's the episode where Carlton is like, he's like playing a slot machine or some shit like that in the diner and Riddick Bowe comes up and starts talking to him and Carlton starts talking shit and Will has to step in and then he walked, he walks up and gets knocked out by Riddick Bowe.
1: Oh, wow. Nah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it, 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 it's probably on YouTube, but I, I almost forgot about that one. That was a pretty good one too. Oh, uh, also Frankie
1: Lyles was with Tommy Hearns in that Martin episode randomly. <laughs> like the he I, I just remember that because he, his only word was his only word was when they were introducing themselves he said i'm frankie Lyles," and they never said another word in the episode
0: what was the what was that pointer Sisters shit you show is that mark breland oh that was mark breland yes he was in the pointer system music video i mean because they were they the were same,
1: involved man. you know what they were such an integral part of the pointer sisters who i love and if you're 80s music you should love them too um they were such an integral part of the four kings when you think about it because they really did the national anthems for a lot of those major fights at that time period and if they weren't they were ringside for the fights like they were big you know they were huge in the 80s so they were always at, at the fights doing national anthems they played a big part and they're featured prominently talked about in the in the george kimball four four kings book so yeah, yeah. mark Breland, that was a cool video mark breeland fe- was featuring that's in the boxing gym all that um, yeah it's a trip yeah. Tommy Morrison was on television I think besides Rocky 5. Um so many, man.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot. So I would recommend probably googling, but I th- I think that's a pretty good start. As far as the uh George Foreman, Foreman question, I mean, I think that Foreman himself said that he felt like his older, you know, his older self would have beaten his younger self just cause he was smarter and he was better at like conserving his energy and wasn't just throwing haymakers 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 like he was when he was younger and i mean i think i probably would agree with that but there's of course when anybody's even in this mythical shit, i know but anybody fighting young young george dude it's like you can't get hit like you can't get hit like that even if it's old george Old George might go to sleep if he got hit the wrong way. So I mean, you know, it I know, I know it's kind of a a weird paradoxical thing to say. But anyway, I'd probably go with old George. It's it's tough to say,
1: man. It's like in a 12 round fight, I could almost see young George outpointing old George. Especially, like... That's a good point,
0: too, though. Especially he he did have some kind of lazy showings. Yeah,
1: especially, like, the post-Ali fight where, besides where he lost his energy completely against Jimmy Young, Foreman did try to show, like, some semblance of not just weighing again like a maniac. Like, he was trying to, you know what I mean? Trying to be a little bit more patient to the point where I think if he had fought Ali in a rematch, he probably would have beat him. But, um, I could see that. But at the same time, if it go like, I could also see him, if it's, like, young Foreman, that's just completely reckless, pre-Ali, who just walked in like a brute with a band and not really thinking about anything except taking a head off, I could see old Foreman taking him out. So yeah, it that's, goes that's what he
0: was saying was 73 Foreman. So it okay, been so if you're going
1: Ali. back that early one like that, then I think I'm going to go with old George. He's yeah. going to have to weather some shit, though, like, badly. Yeah.
0: And yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that like it, you know, I'd really probably pick tough. him, but
1: it's really get tough lazy. too because like a guy comparable, I guess, maybe to young George in terms of style and just obviously not durability and as brutish, but like someone like Alex Stewart, right? Look what Alex Stewart, you know, his his style with the moving swarming, lots of punches, very heavy handed, and the way he marked up foreman's face like he put a whooping on foreman at that point like you know he made him turn him into hamburger meat people were having outcries after that fight that he you know he needs to retire for him for his safety and health and all that shit like he's gonna he would have to go through some stuff to get through young george man like young george isn't this isn't like mike tyson who's short and would be able to be pushed around and all that like he's fighting just a younger stronger version of himself who would ever try to be doing the same shit so if yeah. he can outlast that, which is a big if, then I think he'd be able to take out Foreman late, the young one, because like you said, he's smarter and everything like that. But he's gonna have to go through some hellacious stuff, and his face is gonna have to hold up from it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's a it's a pretty intriguing matchup, though. You know what I mean? Like it's I, it's, I can't it's even like
1: think the predict winner, man, because I can see both scenarios playing out as 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 wins right there, man. It's like you know, Ring Magazine one time. I think one of the, they, they mentioned that in the old one from years back, you know, obviously in the 90s. They did like a computerized thing, putting young George against old George. And I think young George came out on top more so than old George in like the scenarios that they put together. More so by knockout than anything, but who knows, you know.
0: Yeah, well, you deal with that kind of power, period. It's it's tough to argue against it. He, he was the uh, most. I'll pick George Foreman. The
1: strongest heavyweight ever. Maybe not the in terms of one punch knockout power, but like just in terms, of group strength. There, I don't. Can you can really think of anyone else that might have been as strong as Foreman? Not even Liston. You
0: know. Well, and and I was gonna say it would probably be Foreman and Liston, and they were both like you know pointing at each other, like him, him. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, take your pick but there it's uh, a
1: strong strong oh my god and like he just so tough dude you know what would have been a fascinating fight during that time period had foreman beaten jimmy young and then his career probably would have went on from there um but him and him and larry holmes think of that around like 1979 or so you know fuck
0: (laughs) Yeah, well and I mean if if uh Ken Norton, who granted was a different style, was able to push Larry Holmes, you know, to the limit, and a young Holmes, mm-hmm. but even so, able to push Larry Holmes to the limit, dude. You know, if if uh Foreman hadn't lost his mojo and were going forward with his career, that could have been a scary fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, dude, you know, uh, I hope the fights this weekend, both Friday and Saturday, wind up being a lot of fun, Of you know, for both us and for anybody watching and for people tuning in to this show. I very much appreciate it. And, of course, Eris, I appreciate you, dude. It's uh, always a good time talking boxing with you, man.
1: Yeah, man, it's going to be a blast. Enjoy the fights, everybody, this weekend.
0: For sure. And before you enjoy the fights, in the meanwhile, if you are on, for instance, social media like Twitter – follow my boy, Eris Peanut, punch zone Eris. Follow me, Patrick Connor, Patrick M. Connor. If you are on Facebook, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on Facebook and it's also on Instagram. But also if you are watching, very helpful if you subscribe on YouTube and share it with your friends, cousins, grandma, whomever it might be, grandpa too. Should be a lot of fun, man. But uh, also, look, uh, (laughs) I know I plugged it last week, but... I'll just go ahead and do it again, because why not? If you wouldn't mind, look, the holidays are coming up, dude. Might need a, a book. Might need a, a book as a present. And if you do, check out my book right above the microphone here. That's the cover. It's a shot at a brothel. The Spectacular Demise of Oscar Ringo Bonaventure. Pretty fun. True crime. Boxing history book.
1: Pretty fascinating read, people. I'm not even going to front. It's awesome.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's a pretty quick read. But you could also pick it up for cheap. Stuck it, uh, Stick it in the stock. Uh, wow stick it in the stocking that was a difficult phrase for me to say but Aris, <laughs> say that three times Aris, <laughs> i know it's gonna be i'll try it i really will next time but um anyway also i guess the very last thing is the podcast apps subscribe on the apps and give us a rating that's it i swear Eris, bro we will talk soon
1: have a good one everyone
0: later everybody